You can have a seat. Four years ago, my family and I spent two months living on Vancouver Island during a sabbatical that the church that I was serving at gave us. While we were there, we stayed at a house that was fairly centralized to most things on the island. During our time while we were there, though, we found out that the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, Prince William and Kate Middleton, were coming for the first stop of their royal tour, royal visit in Canada. Now, for our family, that's not normally something that we would get overly excited about, but we thought, you know, it might be fun for us to drive up to Victoria and see something that we wouldn't normally see. When we arrived in Victoria, though, we were completely cut off guard by the degree of fanfare that these royals received that day. Amongst us were close to 10,000 people gathered around the Parliament building in Victoria, hoping to get just a glimpse of William and Kate. The, the anticipation was intense for everyone as the crowd grew larger and people competed for vacant space to get a better view. In fact, while I, while I was standing with my, my eldest daughter, Abigail, she would have been 10 at the time, and there was about two feet in front of us, and, and there was this, this grandma who had her, her young, young grandchild with her, and she just tucked herself between us and the, the person in front of us and effectively blocking any view that myself and Abigail would have had. So, but that was kind of the norm in that particular event. Everyone was competing for vacant space. There, in fact, there had been people who arrived six, seven hours in advance just scoping out the best spots for this event. Just the excitement was palpable. And as we waited, 10,000 10, sets of eyes glued to the giant 300-inch projector screen, watching the royal family's every move as they departed from their plane at the airport. When the royal family began to arrive in their entourage to the, to the awaiting crowds before them, there was this loud eruption of cheer. There was this liturgy of symbolic gestures honoring a variety of different people groups in Canada with all sorts of traditions and rituals that you would expect around a royal event like this. Initially, we were welcomed by the Premier of BC, Christy Clark. Now, we discovered very quickly that she was not very popular, and there was a chorus of boos that echoed through the 10,000 awaiting people. In spite of that, though, she welcomed the royal family with excitement and enthusiasm. After Christy Clark welcomed everyone, she, she sat down, and the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, stood up, and he welcomed everyone. And he shared his excitement for the opportunity to welcome this royal couple to Canada as well. Again, enthusiastic, but with a formality that you would expect for an event like this. After that, our, the Governor General, David Johnston, he greeted us. And he welcomed William and Kate. And, and, and he expressed his gratitude that they would grace us with their presence in Canada. And finally, the moment that the crowd had been waiting for. He introduced Prince William and said, and I invited him to come and share to, share to speak to the Canadian people. At which point, the moment had arrived that everyone had been waiting for. The excitement for this royal couple, William and Kate, had come to a swell. The excitement for so many people was obvious, especially those who were transplants from Great Britain, as they cheered and waved their, their flags. And they celebrated the next king of the Commonwealth with excitement and enthusiasm. All of this pronouncement, all of this, all of this excitement was electrifying. Finally, Prince William stood up to speak, and he spoke for about 20 minutes. And you know what? I can't remember a single thing he said. Even the next day, I couldn't recall what he had talked about. 
Not one word of it was memorable, transformative, impactful, or meaningful to me. Sure, I'm sure some people found great value in it, but for me, everything was lost. All of this excitement and nothing to show for it, except a sermon illustration four years later. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read another pronouncement for a different kind of prince. A proclamation of royalty so monumental that it would change the history of mankind forever. The arrival of a baby that we celebrate over Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Mighty will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 750 years before it happened, these words are proclaiming the birth of Jesus. And I thought the whole pronouncement in Victoria was drawn out. 750 years before it happens, God is proclaiming that He will dwell amongst us and make His presence known in the form of a child. He'll be called many things. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. This wasn't just a pronouncement of a person or royalty, though. This was a proclamation. This was a pronouncement of change. It was a pronouncement of transformation. It was a pronouncement of salvation. It was a pronouncement that God would be with us. But unlike the duke and duchess who, who would arrive in front of crowds of people, instead, Jesus was born alone in a stable for animals by a teenage girl, unmarried to the man she was with. Everything about this night wasn't the type of celebration that you would expect for royalty. But instead, it was filled with scandal and uncertainty. Yet, in the silence of the night, with this young family, we read in Luke chapter 2, 13 and 14, a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. In the silence of the night in Bethlehem, the echoes of celebration rang throughout eternity, where God made his presence known, where God dwelt among us. Within this proclamation is a message of peace, a message that this newborn would be peace to humanity that he would actually be the personification of peace. But what kind of peace? Would he be the military leader that the Jews wanted, who would establish peace throughout the land, finally driving out the Romans once and for all? Would he be the type of inspiration that would help people experience spiritual enlightenment and oneness with the universe? What kind of peace could this child born into such scandal possibly offer anyone. Isaiah pronounced this coming Messiah and gave a brief but powerful picture of what Jesus would accomplish. And it's hard for us to understand that Jesus' birth didn't bring peace to any systems of government or religion. In fact, it was the exact opposite. That instead, when Jesus encountered others, even as a baby, peace was given to individuals or groups as they began to follow and worship him. 750 years before his birth, 
And 2,020 years later, we are still pronouncing that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. A peace that transforms you and I. Jesus came because God knew that there was something inside each of us that lacked peace. That there was a gap in the way that we see ourselves. That there was a gap in the way that we see the world. And that there was a gap in the way that we see God. Unfortunately for most of us, is we look for all sorts of places to fill that gap. To try to get a better understanding of who we are. To figure out how do we engage the world around us more effectively? How do we interact and engage and relate to God? Most of the time, admittedly, those things are often temporary. Or they only reveal a shadow of who we are. Or they miss the mark when it comes to how to interact with God or others. What we discover, though, is that Jesus came to give some clarity and priority to some of these questions. Jesus came so that we would understand that how we interact, engage, and relate to God, that that actually begins to shape how we see ourselves. That actually begins to shape how we engage in this world as well. Let me say that again. Jesus came so that we would understand that how we interact, engage, and relate to God, that it actually shapes how we see ourselves and how we engage in this world. Even though people can change, God doesn't. And neither does our need for him. Underneath the changing culture and politics and pandemics, our need for God still doesn't change. Generations come and go, but our need for God remains. Christmas, 35 years ago, I was five years old. My family had, had gone to visit my grandparents for Christmas, and, and there was a brand new video game system that had just come out. It featured these two little Italian plumbers as the main characters trying to rescue a princess from a dragon. Now, of course, I'm talking about the very first Nintendo Entertainment System. My younger brother and I, we woke up that morning, Christmas morning, and we rushed downstairs to see what Santa had brought us. And as we opened it, we realized in that moment that we have achieved the pinnacle of life in that moment as we ripped open the wrapping and saw the, the Nintendo Entertainment System insignia. That we would never be as excited or experience something as life-changing as this moment. And maybe that's why William and Kate's whole thing wasn't that exciting to me. But then in 1990, the Super Nintendo was released. And then six years later, the Nintendo 64 was released. And then five years later after that, GameCube. And then after that, Mario and Luigi, got, got, they got a pretty significant facelift in 2006 with the Nintendo Wii and then the Wii U and now the Nintendo Switch. What seemed like a revolutionary idea in, 19, in 1985 was just reinvented every five years or so. Different and new technology, yet fundamentally still the same. Different generations, but on underneath the technology and marketing, it's still just a gaming device for people. Some things change, but some things still remain the same. Throughout the Bible, we see that culture change, the culture changes, life shifts, different realities for humanity. But underneath the culture and politics and pandemics, our need for God still doesn't change. That since the beginning, there are some fundamental aspects within us that remain the same. That within all of us, there are some settings that are built into, our, into us that are the same no matter what version you and I might be. 
The Bible tells us, though, that God is the only thing in our world that is unchanging. It's that consistency that provides structure and direction and stability throughout our lives. The only way that we could fully experience God, though, is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, who we read about in Isaiah, is the personification of peace. He came so that we would know him personally, ultimately so that we would know peace personally. It's through the birth of Jesus that our lives actually begin to make sense. And that the questions that we have about life, the questions we have about ourselves, and the questions we have about God are answered. Because they're centered around the one constant in Jesus Christ. That the peace that God offers us isn't just a life of simplicity or ease. But instead, it's a life marked with the reality that Jesus is the answer to some of the biggest questions humanity wrestles with. Questions like, who is God? Questions like, how do I relate to God? In spite of our best efforts, we fall short. We fall short in trying to relate to God. We might build all kinds of religious structures and ideas We build buildings and ideologies that are designed to help us somehow connect with God. But if we are honest with ourselves, they fall short. God sent his son Jesus because the only way that we would actually be able to relate to God fully would be through a relationship with Jesus. Through Jesus, God begins to unfold a salvation plan that would ultimately help each of us discover how to experience the peace that each of us longs for. It's it's through Jesus that we answer that question, who is God? It's through Jesus that we discover how we can relate to God. Through Jesus, we can know that God will be with us, that he provides his presence for us. His presence, though, isn't limited to just helping us live our lives today, trying to help us understand ourselves and others and and God and our world. His presence actually goes beyond this life and extends into eternity as well. Where the peace that moves into eternity only happens, though, through the forgiveness of sin. And the salvation plan that Jesus unfolds through his life and his death and his resurrection. It's Jesus who be the one to rescue humanity by making himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Born to die, Jesus would rescue us from our sins so that we would receive the fullness of peace. A peace rooted in worship of God. A peace rooted in relationship with God. And a peace rooted in love from God. Say that again. Born to die, Jesus would rescue each of us from our sins, so that we would receive the fullness of peace. A peace rooted in worship of God, A peace rooted in relationship with God and a peace rooted in love from God. Peace rooted in worship of God, relationship with God, and love from God. Jesus tells us 
in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. A relationship with Jesus is the only way you and I will ever experience the fullness of the peace that we were intended to experience. A declaration of Jesus as the Son of God is the only way that you and I will fully begin to know how we can relate to God. And when we do that, it changes us. Now, it may not change our situations, our circumstances. It's not going to make the pandemic go away. But it changes our perspective. It changes our response to life's circumstances. And it transforms us because we know that God is with us through the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. Where peace is no longer just a concept any longer. Instead, peace is now personalized just for you and I. His redemption plan happened because he wanted us to experience the peace that only his salvation has to offer. So tonight, whether you're here or, or online watching, if you would like to receive a peace that extends into eternity, that, would have, that helps you to relate to yourself, that helps you to understand how you can interact with God more effectively, that helps you understand how to, how to relate to this world. I'm just going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer just that, that's going to walk you through a prayer through to how to embrace a life rooted in Jesus. And there's nothing magical about these words. It's more just a, a reflection of what's, what's going on, a desire in your heart. I'm going to invite Jason and the worship team to come on up as well as, as I lead us through this. If you would like to pray, though, through this, I'm just going to just repeat the words after me. Jesus, I confess that I've, lived, that I've tried to live life on my own terms. I'm acknowledging today my need for you. I know that you were born to die so that I could relate to you, God. And I ask for forgiveness for my sin. And I ask that you would live and direct my life moving forward. Today, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. On that silent night in a stable, the Prince of Peace was born so that we might know a peace that goes beyond all understanding. This evening, we're going to conclude our song with a singing of Silent Night. As we worship the birth of the Prince of Peace, maybe reflect on the peace that Jesus has given to you during this year. Maybe spend some time reflecting on the peace that you long for in 2021. And as we sing that song, I'd encourage you to turn on your candle just as a symbol of the light Jesus has brought into this world through his birth. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for who you are. We are grateful for your love for us. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to move in us so that we would be able to relate to you, Jesus. That we'd be able to relate to other, others more effectively. So that we'd be able to have a better understanding of who we are as well, Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you came to dwell among us. Amen.